Stop working. You never stop. You never stop. 
worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you Hello, La Jolla Community Church. My name is Ryan Sylvia. I am the Student Ministries Director, and I would just love to welcome you to this online digital service. We at La Jolla Community Church offer three wonderful opportunities for you to engage in worship and in ministry. The first opportunity that we have is actually right here online. We have a weekly online service that usually gets posted in the evening. The beginning will have a beautiful, beautiful worship set that we have recorded and put together for you guys, followed by a weekly message led by Pastor Steve. These are wonderful, poignant messages that speak to the life and the heart of our church. The other two options you have for worship are actually here in person on campus, first being at 9 a.m. we have a morning service, uh, worship to start, followed by a message by Pastor Steve. Uh, everybody is on the lawn, socially distanced, everybody wears their mask, and everybody is safe and healthy. The second option we have, after we sanitize and clean every chair and table that gets used, we have an 11.30 a.m. family service led by myself, um, and it focuses a little bit more on the kids, so the service is a little zanier, a little more high energy, but if any of those sound interesting to you, please feel free to join, and of course, if you have any questions, feel free to email us at info at ljcc.org. Hope everybody has a wonderful, wonderful day, and we hope to see you at one of our amazing worship opportunities. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. And having risen, he is remaking the world. Uh, that's my one-liner for Easter. Christ is risen, he is risen indeed, and he is remaking the world. What do you make of Easter? Everybody's got to make something of Easter. Uh, discuss it, dismiss it, disobey it, something. There's some response. Easter demands a response. It invites a response. It compels a response. Uh, so on this Sunday, a good part of the world will be celebrating Easter. Uh, the other half of the world will be looking on saying, why? What does it mean? So here's what the early followers of Jesus made of Easter. Jesus had been raised from the dead. The kingdom of God had come, and a new age was dawning. Pretty simple, isn't it? Jesus had been raised from the dead, therefore God's kingdom had come, and a new age had dawned. This was sort of a funneling of all of God's promises, all the theology of prophets and priests, uh, kings and people trying to understand the implications of God's promises, the theology that supported it, and what would be the end point? How would we know that the kingdom had come? Some of that was tied to, well, what happens after people die? Uh, a theology developed that there was a resurrection. Some Jews believed that, the Pharisees, some didn't, the Sadducees. The Sadducees didn't believe it because they said, well, gosh, if there's a resurrection, that means our kingdom on earth is in doubt. It's in jeopardy. It will be compromised. All the shifting uh, will go from here to there and back to here. They didn't like that. The Pharisees said, you know what, we need to be focused here, but we need to shift our gaze to the coming resurrection and the righteousness that that will require. And when they looked forward to the Messiah, the Mashiach of God, uh, coming to redeem his world, to remake it. So here we are, uh, in a way that nobody expected, and yet uh, Everybody, in a sense, recognized something significant had happened. And those who were followers of Jesus believed that he'd been risen and raised from the dead. 
that the kingdom of God had come and a new age had dawned. Now, everything looked the same, but they saw everything differently nonetheless. They were still the same age they were. They were still the same physical conditioning that they were. They were still living where they lived. Uh, the economy hadn't changed. Rome still dominated Israel. Uh, there were still people fighting about who was the right heir of David's throne in terms of uh, rule and, and high priests and those who got to interpret the law, all of that uh, looked very much the same. But everything was different nonetheless. And these followers of Jesus saw that everything looked the same, but they saw it from a different perspective. They began to see everything differently in the context of everything that they'd learned and seen and heard in Jesus for those three years. And so they began living out a new, larger reality that changed their lives. They started confessing Christ as Lord and Savior. It cost them a lot to do that. Very often a social alienation, social disapproval, economic pushback, and, and, and eventually outright persecution and death. But still they persisted. They were living out a new, larger reality and it changed their lives. And they started talking about it and we're still talking about it today. <laughs> Let that sink in. What that happened in the first century A.D. are we still talking about, getting animated about, being motivated by? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. The fact that his kingdom has come and a new age has dawned. Well, so then why do some people believe it and others don't? Why do some people believe it, accept it, receive it, lean into it, live into it, experience it, while others don't? How is it that people who weren't there and can't relive those events by faith are willing to embrace the impact, the meaning, the reality of Easter? It's because those first conversations that started were so compelling. The evidence was so convincing. The change was so dramatic. The hope was so real. The joy so persistent uh, that people couldn't ignore it. And the conversation has continued. So who on earth, though, understands the ways of God, but for God telling us his ways? Uh, ultimately, we've got to be willing to trust him. It is a matter of faith, but it's not putting your mind in neutral, putting your brain on ice. It's not squinting long enough and hard enough that it actually starts to make sense to you. It's opening our eyes wide, our hearts wide, our hands wide, to embrace this gift from God revealed to us in Jesus Christ. And yet, who can really speak for the Lord but for him speaking to us first? And giving us his word to understand his ways. After all, Isaiah said it this way. Speaking for God. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways, declares the Lord. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways, declares the Lord. The writer of Ecclesiastes said it this way. Solomon. God has set eternity in our hearts, yet we cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Finally, uh, a more contemporary witness, uh, C.S. Lewis, says it this way. If I, find myself, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for a different world. And this is what Easter confirmed in those first believers. The world that they were inhabiting had been disrupted forcefully 
tragically, horribly from their perspective. And yet as the dust settled, as they started to understand the implications of this, they realized, no wonder our hearts yearned for what Jesus said, what Jesus proclaimed, for what Jesus taught and demonstrated. Because that's the world that we were created for. I was made for a different world. A world where God's kingdom has come, his will is done. And this is what they embraced as Easter. So what do you make of Easter? What do you make of Easter? Uh, It's a fact of history that we can investigate, we can evaluate, we can believe and receive by faith. For those who are open-minded, it it draws us into a very interesting process and journey of discovery. That was my personal experience, being very resistant, very skeptical, dismissing it because I'd never really seen it or understood it in its own context. But then having opened my eyes and my, my heart to it, wrestling with the issues, the implications of it, I embraced it for what it is, the good news of God in Jesus Christ for all people in all places at all times. It's a fact of history that we can investigate, we can evaluate, we can believe and receive by faith. So let me review some of the the core features of Jesus' resurrection. By resurrection, we don't mean some figurative floating around. I'm sure poetically he still lives. We mean literally that Jesus is alive. He died and he now lives. And not in some symbolic, figurative way, but he is alive. And he is among us through his Holy Spirit. So let's review the basic facts. Jesus uh, was declared dead by Roman authorities after having been crucified on a Friday from 9 to 3, scourged, uh, beaten with a a whip that had bone in it and metal in it, uh, driven all day uh, to the point that he collapsed while carrying his own cross on the way to his crucifixion. Uh, Six hours on that cross eventually getting toward the end of the day when the Jewish authorities wanted to move on uh, towards Sabbath preparation. Uh, The guards, the Roman guards, were instructed to stab him in the side. Blood and water flowed out, and he was certified dead by the Romans, who were pretty good at telling when a person was was dead. His body was released for burial to Nicodemus and a man named Joseph of Arimathea. His body was wrapped in linen cloth and spices by both these men and then entombed in Joseph of Arimathea's a fresh tomb. He's a wealthy man, had, had, had a tomb carved out, had never been used. It was for him. He gave it uh, to, for Jesus. His tomb was then uh, guarded by Roman soldiers. The authorities said, hey, his, what, how do we know if his followers might come and steal the body? And so it was sealed and, and guarded by Roman soldiers. Sunday morning, an earthquake aftershock shook Jerusalem. There had been an earthquake during Jesus' uh, crucifixion. Uh, the sky had turned dark. Uh, was that the disruption of sand in the desert and blown through in the city? But it was dark from noon to three. Stones were split. The, the temple curtain was torn uh, from top to bottom. And so on Sunday morning, there seems to be another earthquake or an aftershock of that earthquake that shakes Jerusalem. An angel appeared and rolled back the stone of the tomb. The soldiers uh, were shook. They were shaken, and they, it says they behaved as dead men. They fainted. And then they went and reported to the authorities who bribed them to say that the body was stolen. Otherwise, it, it would be a, a dereliction of duty that the, the, the body, the corpse, was now gone. So the Jewish authorities said, no, 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 they guarded it well, but then uh, the body was somehow stolen. 
Meanwhile, uh, the women who had seen uh, Jesus interred, buried in, in his tomb by Joseph and Nicodemus, um, had seen them prepare the body, strips of linen with spices, uh, according to a Jewish custom. They came back with more materials to anoint the body of Jesus. But they see an angel who says to them, for, uh, an angel says several things, but in one instance the angel says, why are you looking for the living among the dead? But the angel said this, according to Matthew, uh, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen. Just as he said. They ran to tell the others that Jesus had risen, who were obviously skeptical. And they said, are you sure you went to the right tomb? Are you sure you're not just hysterical? I know you're upset. But certainly, how could Jesus, in the condition he was, certified dead, have broken out and overcome the soldiers and now be alive? But they returned uh, with the women to the tomb. And they were shocked by what they saw. That the tomb was empty, the stone had been rolled back. The wrapping of Jesus's, around Jesus' head was there. Other wrapping was there where he should have been. This looked like somebody being taken right out of the material that he'd been wrapped in when Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus had prepared him and buried him. Everyone was bewildered, not knowing what to think or believe. Meanwhile, Jesus appears to a couple walking along from Jerusalem uh, to a place called Emmaus, about six miles outside of Jerusalem. When a stranger walks along with them and asks them, obviously they're upset as they're talking, why are you so upset? And this opens up a conversation about all the events that had happened. And these two uh, people walking along say, don't you know what's happened? Uh, it's amazing. But we're disappointed because we thought it would end this way. He'd be the great Messiah, Redeemer of Israel, but he was killed and buried and he's now dead. And, 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 and as they were walking along, these two people said, hey, stop with us and eat. And, and, but before that, Jesus had said, really, let's talk this through. And, and so he talked about the scriptures, what the scriptures would say about the Messiah. And they're so captivated by it, they said, no, no, you've got to stop and eat with us. And it says, as Jesus took the bread and blessed it and broke it, their eyes were open and they could see it was him, and then he disappeared. They immediately run back to Jerusalem uh, to find the uh, disciples and all those people with them, and they told them this incredible story of what they had experienced. So everybody marveled at the stories that they were hearing because now Peter said, yes, it's true. I saw the tomb myself. It was empty. The women have seen it as well. Was Jesus really alive is what the buzz was all about. How could this be? And then it started to sink in. Well, that's what he told us. That's what he promised us. But we couldn't believe it once we saw what he had gone through. So then Jesus made appearances over the next 50 days before his ascension into heaven. Amazing and wonderful that Jesus had been resurrected, God's kingdom had come, a new age had dawned. The implications of it yet to be realized, yet to be seen, yet to be lived. So, what do you make of Easter? What do you make of Easter? And most significantly, <laughs> what does Easter make of you? What does Easter make of you? Who are you in Christ? Are you in Christ? If you are, why are you in Christ? If you're not, why? Why are you not in Christ? Why are you resisting Christ? Why would you push him away? After all that uh, we've seen and heard, this conversation of 2,000 years has not gone away. If anything, it's ever more corroborated as we understand the, the context, the implications of what Jesus went through. There's no historic fact better attested than the resurrection of Jesus. 
Three implications about what Easter makes of you as you sort out what you make of Easter. First of all, Easter makes you a new creation in Christ. Uh, Peter, who was there, says it this way, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The resurrection, not the resuscitation, not his removal from the grave, but his resurrection from the dead. His re-embodiment. Paul, writing to uh, the believers in Corinth, said, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. This new age has dawned. He's the first fruit, so to speak, of what this resurrection looks like. Death has uh, lost its sting. Death is not the final word. The resurrection is the final word for all those who are in Christ. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Amazing and good news. There was no enemy Jesus wouldn't face, no obstacle he wouldn't overcome, no cost he wouldn't bear to save us. In fact, he redeemed our life with his own. That's the shocking and scandalous truth of the cross, that God himself redeemed his life for us. So by faith, you have full access to the Father, to the Son, to the Holy Spirit. Even in our sin, our brokenness, our fallibility, he does not push us away but draws us close. We have full access to him. That's what the resurrection is making of you, a beloved child of God. His unconditional love constantly calls you back into your right heart, right mind. It's constantly developing you into the person you're meant to be. Your sin and death no longer defines you, even if it might describe you. Yes, you'll die. And yes, you sin, but that's no longer the definition of you. You belong to Christ. You are clothed in his righteousness, according to Easter. God is real and personal to you because his life now dwells within you. It's not just a belief you have that you can forget or misplace or lose. It's him indwelling you. Easter makes you a new creation in Christ. Secondly, Easter makes you a messenger of his good news. You have a story to tell. Again, Paul writing to the Corinthians says in chapter 5, second letter, he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. The resurrection leads to reconciliation, to redemption. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. The sins of the world were heaped on him. He became the atoning sacrifice. He was the the Passover lamb. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Not might as in maybe, perhaps, but it is now possible to be the righteousness of God. That is to be rightly related to God. As I said, clothed in his righteousness. And so as we confess our faith in him, we die with him, so to speak. And as we confess our faith with him, we are raised up with him and connected to him in a way that is unassailable. Nothing and no one can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. Not our sin, not our death, not an enemy power 
You are safe in Christ. You are secure in Christ. You are saved in Christ. You have a story to tell. You can become a credible guide to others. Not an expert, not an authority, but a witness. It's a love story, not a sales pitch. It's a conversation, not an argument or a debate. Now, you might find yourself in a debate kind of a mode, giving evidence, countering people's false assumptions or false assertions. But we do that with gentleness and respect, giving a reason for the hope that is within us. We want to have that as a conversation. Not just that we're trying to be nice. We're simply trying to be the people that we are in Christ. This love is for you, friend. Don't miss it. Don't dismiss it. It's a story God is writing into the history of this world that includes you and all of us who come to him by faith. And so your story is being developed every day you walk with Christ. You are a new creation being fully developed into what that is. It's not yet clear how that will look when it's fully developed, when it's fully perfected, when it comes to completion. But that's Christ's work in you, made possible through his resurrection. That's Easter making something of you, a messenger of his good news, and a new creation in Christ. And you get to share your understanding and experience of his story in you. You're simply called to bear witness to him. You don't need to edit it or embellish it. Well, I better leave that out. I better really build that up. No, just tell your story. Leave it to him to help people understand uh, their own story in Christ. And finally, Easter makes you a partner in his new creation. You're a new creation in Christ. You are a messenger of his good news, and now you actually have a part in this new creation. Whatever you do, uh, Paul writes to the Colossians chapter 3, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Your life is fully integrated around him. It's not that you're walking around saying, I'm a religious guy. You're walking around saying, I'm an alive guy. I'm an alive person. What I do as a student, what I do as an athlete, what I do in the marketplace, what I do professionally, what I do personally, only makes sense because of him. It looks like everything else going on around, but it's all from another entirely different perspective because of Easter. And so Paul then writes also to the Ephesians chapter 2. He says, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Our new identity is rooted in the kingdom of God, not uh, this world. That we fully inhabit this world. Uh, our identity is rooted and safe and secure in the kingdom of God. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it's a gift from God. Not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. We have a contribution to make. In this new creation, in this coming creation, in the present world that is being remade by Christ. Created in Christ to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. You have a ministry, you have a mission, you have a role to play, you have a part in this partnership with God in his restoration of the world. (laughs) That's mind-boggling, isn't it? It's breathtaking. Me? I'm not qualified. Of course you're not qualified. But he is. And because he's in you, you are qualified too. So our work is really learning how to enjoy God through his word, through his Holy Spirit, through his people, through experiences in life. He wants us to enjoy him. That's the first thing that is, is about our work. It's simply enjoying being alive in Christ. 
And then our work is understanding and wisely using what God has entrusted to us. What has God given you? A brain, a heart, some hands, some hopes, some aspirations, some connections, some ideas, some things you want to do. That's all part of your work. Explore that. Pursue that. As one of our friends says, dream big. Dream big. Pray hard. Prepare well. And go for it. You have a work to do. Don't let anyone or anything hold you back. If one door closes, another one will open. Ask, seek, knock. God is leading and guiding you into your work. And it touches everything in your life. Our work is ultimately serving others as Jesus served us with all the resources of God. And therefore, with what we know, with prayer, with the power of his word, with uh, help from his Holy Spirit, it could come from dreams and visions, hunches, impulses of what God is doing and what we can be a part of. It could look very conventional. I studied and prepared and now I do this. All to the glory of God. That's what Easter makes of us. And it moves us to say, Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this incredible confession of faith that you have allowed us to make. That Easter makes of us that we are now new creations in you. We have a story to tell. We have a work to do. We thank you and praise you that we get to be part of this incredibly glorious thing that we call Easter. And I pray for myself, for my family, for my brothers and sisters in Christ. For those who don't even know Christ yet, that we would fully experience what you have created us to experience, life in you now and forever. Pray all this in Jesus' holy name, our, our glorious and risen Savior, praying for his quick return in glory. Amen. Well, I hope you enjoy uh, uh, this day, that you are able to rest and renew and celebrate and enjoy all of God's, gifts, God's good gifts to you. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you, shining his light on you that you might reflect it wherever you go and whatever you do, both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.